Welcome to the Westminster Pulpit, an extension of the worship ministry at Westminster Presbyterian Church in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Please contact us for permission before reproducing this message in any format, and may this sermon nurture your life in a meaningful way as we proclaim our Savior. Love it if you have your Bibles or you could turn to your Pew Bible to page 120 to our scripture passage tonight in Numbers 12 as we continue our evening sermon series on this book. Let's hear God's word. Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses because of the Cushite woman whom he had married, for he had married a Cushite woman. And they said, Has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Has he not spoken through us also? And the Lord heard it. Now the man Moses was very meek, more than all the people who were on the face of the earth. And suddenly the Lord said to Moses and to Aaron and to Miriam, Come out, you three, to the tent of meeting. And the three of them came out. And the Lord came down in a pillar of cloud and stood at the entrance of the tent and called Aaron and Miriam, and they both came forward. And he said, Hear my words. If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision. I speak with him in a dream. Not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. With him I speak mouth to mouth, clearly, and not in riddles. And he beholds the form of the Lord. Why then are you not afraid to, why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? And the anger of the Lord was kindled against them, and he departed. When the cloud removed from over the tent, behold, Miriam was leprous, like snow. And Aaron turned turned toward Miriam, and behold, she was leprous. And Aaron said to Moses, O my Lord, do not punish us, because we have done foolishly and have sinned. Let her not be as one dead whose flesh is half eaten away when he comes out of his mother's womb. And Moses cried to the Lord, O God, please heal her, please. But the Lord said to Moses, If her father had but spit in her face, should she not be shamed seven days? Let her be shut outside the camp seven days, and after that she may be brought in again. So Miriam was shut outside the camp seven days, and the people did not set out on the march till Miriam was brought in again. After that, the people set out from Herzeroth and camped in the wilderness of Paran. Please pray with me. O gracious Heavenly Father, how we praise you and we thank you for your powerful word. And we thank you for your spirit who indwells within us. And we thank you for the ways that your word changes our hearts and molds them and shapes 
our hearts to be more in line with our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And Lord, we thank you for this passage as it points to you as our great mediator and redeemer. And we pray, Lord, that as we look at your word this evening, that you would bless this time in your word, that we would see anew the wonder and the majesty of your grace towards us in Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Well, beloved, as we read through this historical account of Miriam's and Aaron's rebellion, the text invites us to see how it speaks to us and how it reflects our own hearts and our own life experience in knowing Christ. Our own experience is mirrored through Miriam's experience recorded in this chapter. And it is mirrored in three ways which we will look at this evening. Rebellion, intercession, and restoration. Let's begin with rebellion. If this were a movie, the title would be The Return of the Rebellion. For as we saw last week when Dr. Kiefer preached on Numbers 11, we noted the manner in which the hard-hearted Israelites rebelled against Moses in the wilderness. They grumbled against the Lord. Despite all of the ways that the Lord had been so gracious to them by delivering them from the bondage in Egypt and providing food for them in a miraculous way from heaven, manna from heaven, yet despite all of this, the Lord's graciousness of his provision and of his deliverance, of his protection and of his provision, what did the Israelites do? But they grumbled. And they complained against Moses and the Lord. They desired to go back to Egypt, back to their former way of life in slavery, so that they could have their old diet back of meat and fish with a side order of leeks and onions. So the Lord gave them what they wished for. Bushes and bushes and bushes of quail were, thrown, were flown in, literally. And they gorged on the meat until they were sick of it. And the Lord used it to show them their hearts and how lacking they were in any real relationship with him. Oh, their bellies were full of their lustful craving for meat, but their souls were starving. And in their ingratitude and rebellion, the Lord judged the rebels by sending a plague upon them. They got their just desserts right before dessert. The Lord judged them justly for their denial of acknowledging his gracious hand who had freed them from a life of misery which they instead longed for, wanting to return to Egypt, desiring to go back to their former way of life of slavery, choosing the mundane and the miserable over the glorious and the good, and thumbing their nose at the Lord's grace, which he had poured out over them. And despite the Lord's judgment, the rumblings and the grumblings continued. 
But this time, this time the rebellion reached to the upper echelon of power, and it hit close to home. This time it was up close and personal. Moses' own brother and sister rebelled against their brother and his leadership. And so I wonder what hurt the most. Which was the most vexing to Moses? The rebellion of the crowds or the rebellion of his own kin? He was stabbed in the back by his sister Miriam and his brother Aaron. And we see the rebellion starting right in verse 1. Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses because of the Cushite woman whom he had married, for he had married a Cushite woman. Their objection to Moses' leadership and his authority centered on whom he had married. Verse 1 says they spoke against Moses because of his wife's ethnicity or race. The text doesn't make clear the identity of his wife. All we know is that she is from Cush. So it's possible that they are referring to Moses' wife, Sephora, who is normally described as a Midianite in Scripture. But Cush and Midian are sometimes linked together as being in the same in Scripture. So it's possible that they are referring to Sephora, or this wife from Cush could be his second wife, whom he married after Sephora had died. And since Cush normally refers to Ethiopia, his second wife could have been an Ethiopian. In any case, and in either case, their objection was that he had not married an Israelite woman, but that he had married a foreigner. And they were using it to try and stir up dissension against the people by suggesting that somehow, somehow it was unfitting for the leader of Israel to marry someone from another ethnic background or race. They were appealing to their <clears throat> sense of ethnic identity and that somehow Moses wasn't really committed to Israel or he lacked wisdom because the wife that he, he chose did not have Israel, Israelite blood. And yet we readily see that their objection was really just a smokescreen for what was really getting underneath their skin. The twisted root of their rebellion is unearthed in verse 2, where they state that their true thoughts and feelings when they say, has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Has he not spoken through us also? And in their question, we hear the bitter, discordant tune of jealousy and envy. Hey, we're just as special and as important as Moses. The Lord speaks to us too, you know. Miriam could say, am I not a prophetess? Did I not lead the women of Israel in spirit-led worship after the victory at the Red Sea? Do I not speak the Lord's word and rally? Did I not speak the Lord's word and rally the women in worship? And Aaron could say, am I not Israel's high priest? Do I not also speak the Lord's word for Moses? And we wonder 
we wonder, why now? Why did they decide at this juncture to stir up strife and division because they felt somehow slighted? Why rebel now against their brother? Well, we don't know for sure, but I think it's safe to surmise that they felt somewhat threatened and envious over the recent development that the Lord had Moses institute. Just prior to this, in response to the people's rebellion in chapter 11, the Lord had sought to ease Moses' burden and told him to appoint 70 elders to assist him with the care of the people. And they were given, those 70 elders were given a portion of Moses' spirit, and they prophesied as well, if only for a limited time, according to chapter 11, verse 25. So Miriam and Aaron somehow, did, did they somehow perceived that their prestige had diminished somewhat with the appointing of these 70 elders to serve alongside of Moses. Miriam was an influencer, and it seemed that her influence was being diluted as Moses had these elders who shared in her spirit-filled leadership in his spirit-filled leadership. And in their rebellion, Aaron and Miriam reflected the hearts of the masses who also rebelled. The crowds had lusted for their former way of life in Egypt. Miriam and Aaron lusted after power and prestige and influence. And both the masses and this power couple were dissatisfied with the blessings that they had received from the Lord. It wasn't enough that the people had miraculously received manna from heaven. Oh, no, 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 no. They wanted more. Give us meat, they demanded. And it wasn't enough that Aaron and Miriam had also received blessings from the Lord. Miriam as a prophetess and Aaron as high priest. No, they wanted soul rights and they weren't willing to share their prestige with others. And so what did they do? They rebelled against Moses. We can almost hear them say, he got to choose those 70 elders, and we weren't even consulted. Who does Moses think he is? We are just as important as he is. And so they reveal their duplicitous hearts. But verse 3 reveals Moses' heart. Look at verse 3. Now the man Moses was very meek, more than all the people who were on the face of the earth. The word for meek could also be translated humble, as if to say that Moses, he was the most humble man on the earth. How so? He was humble and meek in this way. When his own siblings railed against him, making aspersions against him and questioning his authority, he did not enter, utter a word in his defense, but he trusted that the Lord would vindicate him against this attack. As Matthew Henry says in his commentary, Moses was not self-serving, but he was focused on serving the Lord. 
So that when God's honor was concerned, as in the case of the golden calf, no man was more zealous than Moses. But when his own honor was touched, there was no man more meek, as bold as a lion in the cause of God, but as mild as a lamb in his own cause. And we see in verse 2 that Moses' trust in the Lord was warranted Because what does verse 2 say? And the Lord heard Miriam and Aaron's defiant grumbling. Beloved, are those not some of the most encouraging and troubling words in Scripture? The Lord heard. He hears everything. And beloved, that's encouraging us as his beloved sons and daughters in Christ, that when we experience injustice, the Lord who loves his people, he hears, and he will vindicate us in the end. But they are also troubling words, because he also hears our own grumblings and grumblings and complainings of ingratitude or complaint. So it's best to guard our tongues and even more more so our hearts from a bitter attitude towards the Lord when things don't seem to be going our way. Well, the Lord heard Miriam as she was stirring up the pot, hoping that it would boil over and burn Moses, her own brother. And it was all out of her envy and jealousy and striving for more. So what does the Lord do? but to call the three of them into court, to stand in the presence of the ultimate just judge. And that's a very frightful thing. In verse 4, the Lord suddenly summons them to the tent of meeting for a swift trial. And in verse 5, the Lord descends in a pillar of cloud at the entrance at the tent of meeting, and he calls Miriam and Aaron to stand before before him. And oh, wow, how must they have been shaking in their sandals at that moment. And in verse 6, he begins to vindicate Moses. In verse 6, he begins to vindicate Moses by telling his siblings that there is no other man like Moses with whom the Lord has this special relationship. In verse 8, he royally dressed them down, saying, in effect, you too who are like prophets, who pride yourself on your position and your gifts, which I have given you, well, let me tell you, you aren't all that special after all. With all other prophets, I speak to them in visions and in dreams. But with Moses, with Moses, it's wholly different. The content and clarity of communication that I have with Moses is wholly different. I speak to him directly. No dreams, no visions, and I speak plainly to him. No riddles. And if that weren't enough to highlight the special relationship that I have with Moses, Moses is my servant over all my house. In other words, he is my servant leader over the whole nation. 
And what is more, Miriam and Aaron, I stand before you in a pillar, but you've never seen my being. But Moses has seen my form when I shielded him in the cleft of the rock, and I allowed him to see but a glimmer of my glory and my presence. So I ask you, given my intimate relationship with Moses, which no other person has, given the authority that I have invested him as the steward over my whole, over the whole nation, how is it, how is it that you two dare to speak against him, to see yourself as equal to him? And with those words of vindication from Moses ringing in their ears, the Lord departed, which itself was a sign of judgment. For the Lord to be departed from you was to lose his life-affirming presence. And in further judgment, after the Lord departs, Miriam is stricken with leprosy. Leprosy being a general term for some form of skin disease that turned her skin ashen white, scaly, and rotting. And in many ways, leprosy was a fitting judgment for her, for her injustice that she had done to Moses. Oh, how the mighty had fallen! Miriam, who in Exodus 15 used her voice to lead other women in praise, now she used her voice to speak rebellion. Now, in just judgment, her distorted face would be a reminder of how she distorted the truth with her words. As one commentator put it, her foul tongue is justly punished with a foul face. She thought that she would be equal to Moses, or should be equal to Moses, but her judgment proved that she was not. As one commentator remarked, while Moses needed a veil to hide his glory, Miriam needed one to hide her shame. Now the question arises, why was she stricken with leprosy? But Aaron didn't get any such affliction. Well, first of all, she is listed first in order of the culprits. Her name comes before Aaron's in verse 1. And being listed first, it signals for us that she was the instigator, the one who started it all, and Aaron followed her lead. In other words, she led Aaron into rebellion, and he was misled, so she bears the brunt of the judgment. And most commentaries also make the point that there is the matter of being unclean. Leprosy marked you as a ceremonially unclean person, and had Aaron been marked with leprosy, he would have been unable to perform his duties as high priest. And yet, even though Aaron himself did not become leprous like his sister, he no less felt the weight of judgment for his rebellion. After all, as high priest, according to the law in Leviticus 13, he would be required to examine a person who had leprosy and declare him clean or unclean. 
So what did that mean? It meant that Aaron had to look at his own sister and in his priestly role, look at her marred face and then face the effect of his sin and hers and declare her unclean. Such is the weightiness of their rebellion. And what follows then is Moses' intercession on behalf of Miriam and Aaron. First, there was rebellion, and then there was the intercession and the grace shown by Moses and by the Lord. And there's an irony here. Aaron appeals to his brother, whose authority he questioned and tempted to undermine. He appeals to his brother as what? As Lord, in verse 11. Aaron seeks Moses' mediation to his, to his special relationship with the Lord, which moments earlier he had rebelled against. Oh, how quickly things change as we see the reversal of Aaron's heart attitude. And Moses once again demonstrates that he is indeed a very humble man. We see here the goodness of Moses, the graciousness of Moses, how he loved his enemies and blessed those who had cursed him. He could have said, no way, no way am I going to intervene for you after what you did to me. No. Instead, he forgave them. And he didn't hold it against them. And so he intercedes for them, for his sinful sister, and asks that the Lord would heal her. And the Lord, out of his grace, he hears Moses' plea and he heals Miriam. He gave her what she didn't deserve out of his mercy through the mediation of Moses who prayed on her behalf. And although she was cured, she would still have to be banished for seven days to live outside the camp like other lepers who would have to do, according to Leviticus 13, as judgment for her rebellion. And though she was cured of her leprosy, yet she would have to do what was required of all lepers to show her and others the nature of her sin-sick, rebellious heart. Now, when someone had leprosy, they were to cover their face and they were to cry out as a warning to others, unclean, unclean. And Miriam, in her heart, she was unclean, unclean, unclean in her rebellion against her brother and even more so against the Lord himself. So the judgment fit the crime. Her envious heart longed to have a greater position equal to her brother. Her heart said, oh, I want to be like Moses, to have position and influence over the people. And so what is her judgment? But that she finds herself alone, outside the camp. No longer an influencer on the nation, but rather a hindrance to the nation as they have to wait for her to return. She was the living 3D example of Jesus' teaching in Luke 18, 14, that any, everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, 
but he who humbles himself will be exalted. And so we see in this account the ripple effect of sin. Her individual sin affected the whole nation as they had to wait for her return to move forward in the wilderness. And yet there's good news. Miriam was restored. And in that we see the wonderful grace of the Lord toward her. The Lord could have easily said, leave her out there in the wilderness and just move on. And in his justice, he would have had every right to do so. But she is allowed back into the community, and she who was cast out was received back, healed, restored, and forgiven. And so, beloved, we see a glimmer of the gospel in the lives of these three siblings. And what might seem obscure and distant history actually finds its home in our own story of God's saving grace towards us. For we too are like Miriam. We're all Miriams. Miriam had a rebellious heart. She defied the Lord, and due to her rebellion, she was stricken with leprosy, a fitting judgment for her rebellion. For her physical wasting away was but an image of a deeper problem, the sun sickness of her soul. And in a similar way, in our natural state, apart from Christ, we rebelled against a holy God by our thoughts, our attitudes, and our actions. We don't want him in our lives. Our hearts desire other things, and we break the commandments in our heart attitudes and actions as we chase after other things. And in doing so, we break the very way of life where we would find joy and fulfillment in knowing the Lord and loving the Lord with all of our heart, soul, and mind. And in our sin nature, we rebel against him just like Miriam. And what is the result? That we too should cry out like a leper, unclean, unclean, and that we would and should be banished forever to be outside the camp, isolated, separated from the Lord forever, who is the source of light and love and joy and peace. And that would be God's right, and he would be just in rendering such a judgment against us. For the wages of sin is death both physical death and spiritual death, in which we are eternally separated from the Lord, who is the source of light and life. But this is the beauty of the gospel. As the Lord reveals his grace to us, we see a glimmer of the gospel right here in Numbers 12 and the experience of Miriam, who rebelled but was restored. 
For just as Miriam needed a mediator to bring healing and restoration to her, to rescue her from her rebellion, so do we need a mediator to rescue us from our rebellion against a holy God. And in the beauty of the gospel, we find that we have such a mediator who will stand in the gap for us and who will bring healing and restoration. And we find in the message of the gospel that we have an even greater mediator than Moses was. And that is our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And as we look at this chapter, we see a pattern in the person and practice of Moses as Miriam's mediator that reflects in some measure the person and practice of Christ as our mediator, a greater mediator, given who Jesus is and the magnitude of what he has done. And, beloved, reflecting on the wonder of what Christ has done stirs our hearts to a deeper love and devotion for him. And Scripture tells us how Jesus was a greater mediator in terms of his person and his performance. For example, Hebrews 3 makes this clear. As mediator for God's people, Moses was but a servant over the house of God, a steward over his people. But Hebrews 3 points out that Jesus had been counted worthy of more glory than Moses. For he is the builder of God's house and not a servant in it. No, Christ is greater than a servant in God's house. Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. And how else was Jesus a greater mediator than Moses? Well, he had a greater relationship to the Father. Moses spoke God's word and saw the form of God, But Jesus is the greater mediator because he is the living word who is God himself who said, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. And Jesus had to be God himself as our mediator. As a mediator of the new covenant, Jesus had to be a sinless son who would be able to act on our behalf to take away our sin as mediator. Jesus had to be God, the sinless Son, in order to do what he did. No mere mortal like Moses was up to the task. And as a son, Jesus did more for his people than even Moses. So how was Jesus a greater mediator? Moses, as God's servant, delivered God's people from the oppressive slavery under the Egyptians. Jesus, as God's only begotten eternal Son, freed us from the oppression of slavery over sin. How was Jesus a greater mediator? Just consider what Jesus could do that Moses couldn't. Moses couldn't bear Miriam's shame. He couldn't remove it. 
Miriam had to bear the shame of her sin. In verse 14, the Lord says, Miriam needs to sense the depth of what she has done. She needs to feel the disgrace that she has brought on herself by her rebellion. She is to bear the shame the same way that she would if her father had spit in her face as an act of saying, you daughter, you have disgraced the family. Moses could intercede for Miriam, which resulted in her healing, but he couldn't bear her shame. Moses didn't bear any of it. She was to feel the weight of it by being cast out. So just consider how much greater is Christ as our mediator who not only intercedes for us, but goes, goes beyond anything that Moses did for Miriam. He bore our shame on the cross. Innocent as Jesus was, he bore what we should have experienced so as to free us from all shame and condemnation by taking upon himself our shame. And Isaiah 60 pictures this. This is what our Messiah did. I gave I gave my back to those who strike me and my cheeks to those who pluck out my beard. I did not cover my face from humiliation and from spitting. No, he willingly bore our sin and our shame so that we would be free from it. And in doing so, he pre-proved too that he was humble, just like Moses Numbers 12 tells us that Moses was a humble man, and Jesus himself said that he too is humble. Matthew eleven twenty-eight and 29, Jesus said, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For what? For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Jesus wasn't boasting in his humility. Jesus showed that he was humble. And like Moses, when Jesus was betrayed, he did not seek to vindicate himself, but he was as humble as Peter says in the second chapter of his first letter when he writes, when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but he continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Beloved, the trajectory of his humility took Jesus to a place even Moses, as great as Moses was, that Moses was incapable of entering. Philippians 2 speaks of Jesus' humility. Christ Jesus, who through oath, who oath, Though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he what? He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus experience as a mediator was so much more profound. How was he a greater mediator than Moses? Moses prayed for his sister who rebelled against him, but Jesus prayed for his enemies who nailed him to a cross. 
Father, forgive them, for I do not know, for they do not know what they do. Yes, the people rebelled against Moses. Even his own siblings rebelled against him, but they didn't seek to kill him. But our Savior, as our mediator, suffered in such greater measure, for he was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as our mediator, he stood in our place, which Paul describes so succinctly and beautifully in Romans 5. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would even dare to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, how much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life? More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. So we see from Scripture how Jesus was the perfect mediator, greater than Moses, who willingly suffered the judgment that we deserved for our sin and for our rebellion, taking upon himself his own judgment and justice as God and experiencing his own wrath that we should have experienced in his flesh as the Son of Man. And, beloved, it was all, all out of his grace and all to restore what was broken in us. For we are like Miriam as well. We were once outside the camp, having been, but having been cleansed now by Christ, we are restored and we are invited back into fellowship. Beloved, is there anything more beautiful than that? Because of Christ our mediator, we can approach a holy, just judge with no fear of condemnation because in Christ, as our mediator, he has removed the leprosy of our souls so that we no longer stand before a holy God crying out, unclean, unclean, unclean. Christ, as our mediator, has given us new life a new identity, a new relationship, an eternal life with Him. Oh, how great is Christ as our mediator. So the question is, do you know Him? Have you seen your heart and said, I have rebelled, I am a sinner, and I need someone to stand in the gap for me? For if not, I am doomed. So I need a mediator greater than Moses. And I know that Christ is that mediator, for he left the glories of heaven in humility, and he took on our humanity, and he lived a perfect life so as to be a perfect substitute for me. And he was worthy to take upon himself the judgment for all of my sin. So I put my trust in him 
And in doing so, I have been restored, healed from the leprosy of my sin-sick soul and restored. I will never, ever be cast out from God's people, but I am in the camp headed for the promised land. Do you know Christ? And have you embraced him as your mediator? Let's pray. Oh, gracious Heavenly Father, how we thank you and we praise you for your great grace that you have shown to us through Christ, our mediator, who was willing to take upon himself the just judgment that we deserved. We thank you for that astounding grace that you have showered down upon us in changing our hearts and enabling us to believe in our Savior and to accept him and to have a new life in him. So we thank you for your wonderful grace to us. We pray, Lord, that we would never grow tired or weary of hearing this gospel truth, of knowing that we have been redeemed, restored, and forgiven. We give you all praise, our Lord Jesus, for what you have done, and we will have all of eternity to continue to give you praise. We give you praise in your name. Amen. The Westminster Pulpit is courtesy of Westminster Presbyterian Church in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. You are welcome to worship with us on Sunday mornings at 8 or 11 a.m. To learn more or have questions about the gift of salvation through Christ Jesus our Savior, contact us at westpca.com. Thank you, and may Christ be glorified through this ministry, the Westminster Pulpit.